Welcome to episode four of the podcast, Defending Conscience. We're talking about the new book by uh, Lock Press, written by Matthew Littlefield and Pastor Tim Grant, who join me right now. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. The book is uh, the same title, Defending Conscience, subtitled How Baptists Reminded the World to Defy Tyranny. An incredibly important thing to do, Matt, defy tyranny. What is the point of writing this book? What were you hoping to achieve? Well, there's several things that we want to achieve with this book. And the first thing that we want to achieve is we want to be able to give people a very simple argument. There are many Christians who I believe have the right view that they should not be coerced to put something in their body that they don't want. Now, some of these Christians have been called radicals or many different things, which are not well thought out arguments, they're just attacks. And so what we wanted to do was give them a book, say, look, here's something you can refer to, you can read it and you can study this and you can... You can have these arguments and be able to show other Christians you're actually standing in a strong Christian legacy Mm. here when you make these arguments. The other side of that is we wanted to remind our own particular denomination of its legacy. When it comes to coercion of conscience, the way we understand history, this should be something that Baptists leave on, Uh, whether from in Australia or or, or overseas. And when I say our denomination, I'm speaking Baptist globally, (laughs) not just our specific one here. Because this is something which Baptists taught the world. And an important point there is we taught it to the world. And it was when the world learned it from us and other denominations learned it from us that these teachings actually influence culture. So when did we teach it to the world? In the 17th century. This is not a new thing. It's not like Billy Graham thought this up. No, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, he was a Baptist minister and he would have believed this stuff. But this stuff came. So these teachings of liberty of conscience, we can actually see them argued in the early church. Uh, the, we, we refer to guys like Tertullian and, and Justin Martyr. Who were Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> who didn't have a denomination. And this is, a, this is really important because these teachings can be traced to the New Testament and we can see the early, Justin Martyr, um, who, who was an apologist, uh, we can actually see these uh, Christian arguments being applied to society very early on. And then they just sort of got lost over time. Uh, And then in the 16th and 17th century, the Anabaptists and the Baptists revitalized them. You might be able to to argue that there's guys like Erasmus and others in Holland which helped to influence that, but it wasn't really um, applied to society in general until the Baptists took it on in the 17th century. And then uh, through their advocacy, their, their continued advocacy, I mean, We've mentioned before on these podcasts a guy called John Bunyan, who many people will know as the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. In fact, just before I came here today, my kids were at home watching the movie Pilgrim's Progress, nice. which they love. Great, great. Where, where did John Bunyan write that? He was in prison. That's right. Why was he in prison? For preaching without a license. Why was he preaching really? without a license? Why should you need a license to follow the command of Jesus to preach? 100%. This is in the, this is in the 17th century. And we can praise God that something good came out of his time. You know what? I want to pick up a point there. Um, why should you, you know, need a license to preach? Here's, this, this reminds me right now of a common argument I heard for why we should just obey the government. And that was because it was easier. I mean, how hard is it? You've got two choices. Go to jail because the government's trying to tell you that you need a license to preach or 
or to actually just get the license. I mean, what I see, so many modern Christians, they argued, just go along to get along. Mm -hmm. Just because it's, it's, I mean, how hard is it to wear a mask? Just wear a mask. Just, you know, just do it because, you know, they're not asking too much of you. Mm -hmm. But you're saying John Bunyan's answer to that was slap the cuffs on and lock me up. Absolutely. Yeah, one, one stage in his writings, he said um, that he'd rather remain in prison than make a, a butcher, a, a slaughter shop of his conscience. And in the next paragraph, Ooh, he says... Oh, I love it. I want to put that on my wall. I'll, I'll send you the book. It's from his Confession of Faith. And the next paragraph, it says, I would rather remain in prison uh, and let the moss grow over my eyes than to violate my faith in principles. Praise God. I mean, what heroes. And this is what you're saying. This is why you wrote the book is because we're forgetting that liberty of conscience is worth going to jail for. Yeah. Who are the heroes that we look to in the church today? I mean, how many Christians look with wonder at the, the persecuted Christians of China or the persecuted Christians of North Korea? Hmm. Uh, it, do you think they don't have these same thoughts these same discussions i mean how many how many of those christians in china part of the underground church were told by one of their brothers well why don't you just go to the state church with xi jinping's face on the wall easier not going to go to jail go along get along <laughs> which church do we look to which church do we look to mm. as our example as the one that we want to model ourselves on it's the one that's willing to suffer to make god the only lord of the church and that's what the early baptists like john bunyan were like and, and they were a thorn in the flesh of tyrants. You read Thomas Ellis. He's just a, a, a you know, a humble middle-class guy, uh, or maybe upper middle-class guy in Britain. And he <laughs> he starts off his book, The Short Mystery of Iniquity, which is not short. <laughs> it's very long. And talking about the king's sin of telling us what we have to believe in religion. Good on him. And if we care about the king, if we love the king, and we care about the king's salvation, what do we have to do? We have to tell him his sin so that he shall repent, so that he can be saved. That's the kind of men these men were. To me. Whereas today we're saying, no, 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 just let the, let the king do whatever he wants. He'll deal with that. Mm. You just submit, let him do whatever he wants. That's not how the early Baptists thought. We want to remind people of this amazing legacy. So what, do we, what we want to achieve, as I said, we want to be able to give people a resource they can read to, to be able to prosecute these arguments with people. We want to remind Baptists of the great legacy we have in advocating for liberty of conscience. But we also want to show the wider church that these teachings didn't really make society great until the wider church applied them. Mm. And it was, it was actually an influential Anglican, John Locke, through which they worked their way into Western law and Australian law and American law. It was when an Anglican was convinced by the radical Baptist of the 17th century and others who were making these arguments that society was improved. So we want to show Christians of all denominations. So maybe it should have been how Baptists and Anglicans reminded the church to defy tyranny. If you could have called it that, but you would have had to squeeze 150 years of the Baptist doing it first <laughs> into <laughs> that title <In> preface. <laughs> to, to justify it. Because really, when at, at you have at one stage in the history of the English Baptist by Tom Crosby, it says that the Baptist publishers and printing presses went into work to advocate for liberty of conscience and that that of the, the Episcopalians went into work to advocate against liberty of conscience, a toleration. 
wow. so, so they were the, the the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians were pushing back uh, in the 17th century against what the Baptists were doing. Mm. Um, yeah, so some of the some of the significant uh, men like uh, well, Daniel Feedley, it says that his anger burned and he wondered how you could operate a church with absolute liberty of conscience. It would just be chaos, he said. Uh, but the, the Baptists uh, just pushed out uh, publications on this topic to, to, and, and, to you know, for the sake of let, let the best idea win. Yeah. And it did. Yeah, it did. Wow. Yeah. That's the point. It won. Hmm. It won. And it may, it's part of what made the West great. And to just say we can throw it out in a moment of, of anxiety, national anxiety, is foolishness. You do not throw out your highest principles in a pragmatic moment to, to steal your fear. That's how you lose everything. Yeah. Tim, for you, why, why the need for this book? Why was defending conscience uh, something you had to work on and, and get to conclusion and invest your own money uh, as well as raise funds to get to print and distribution? Yeah, so there's a few reasons. First of all, I didn't want my three daughters to grow up in a world where they didn't have bodily autonomy. So we've dedicated the book to our respective children uh, to advocate for liberties, both civil and religious. And by God's grace, it might have an impact in that sphere. Uh, and uh, so that, uh, you know, going forward in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, my girls will have a defense as well, should things continue to push in in this regard. Uh, the next is that I have people in my congregation for whom this was a big issue um, for, for some issue of health or conscience. Um, they didn't uh, want to take a vaccine and several of them, some, some in, in significant positions, have left their jobs. Um, I've got uh, a husband and wife who were both in medical and uh, no, no longer have a job, both of them. Uh, and it's... Uh, Put, put the uh, one part of the medical um, facility here in, in sort of disarray. Um, others who felt violated when going into uh, getting a vaccine. So I wanted to provide something to them to say, look, what you're doing uh, in, in not getting a vaccine is actually a very biblical thing. You're suffering for the sake of conscience. And that, that's one of the applications uh, that we make right at the end, that how, how Baptists uh, advocated for this. Well, they they suffered for the sake of conscience. They advocated with their writings and open letters and, and the like, and it made an influence. Uh, and the, the third reason it was important to me was um, as when the criticism came in, it, I was shocked that, uh, as we've said, that it the criticism that, of the Ezekiel Declaration. Of the Ezekiel Declaration. Um, our our own denomination distanced itself from us, put out a media release saying that these aren't our views, and so that seemed to be surprising because what we thought we were doing was simply very Baptist things. And so the third reason was to show from Baptist history, this is our identity. This is our history. What Matt and I and Warren McKenzie did, another author, was was being, was being Baptist. And we're surprised that uh, these different criticisms and responses, particularly from Baptists um, around Australia, that, that we've received this. There, there was a few others that we received uh, from people who identified as Baptists, who uh, provide criticism uh, and, and, uh, and reasons why uh, the, the government should be allowed to coerce conscience on this matter. And so we, we do address some of those points in our book to say, no, Baptist history, it's, it's very clear in the likes of works of Roger Williams, 
who calls um, uh, coercion of conscience, soul rape, spiritual rape. Uh, Christopher mm-hmm. Blackwood opens up his letter uh, with a, a catechism. Should conscience be coerced? No. Uh, it's, it's very clear from history, Baptist history, what uh, our perspective was on these matters. And so uh, that was the third, the third reason to, to remind our denomination, uh, this is history. This is our identity. Mm. Baptists without liberty of conscience, what are they? I mean, Anglicans? <laughs> I'm just stirring. John Locke. <laughs> John can, Locke disagrees. That, what are the, what, exactly. And that's important. It's really important. Anglicans, persecuted Baptists, Episcopalians in America, Congregationalists, all these denominations persecuted the Baptists because of this um, this belief. And we convinced all of them. And we we outlasted them, as Tim said before, the best issue, the best idea won. And another reason why we wrote this book, and it really just comes down to conscience, our own consciences. I want to read something here. That's why I opened up my phone. It's just really short. This is a quote by John Stuart Mill, who was a philosopher and I believe an English parliamentarian in the 19th century. And this is what he said. Let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no more harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. He is not a good man who, without a protest, allows wrong to be committed in his name Mm -hmm. and with the means which, with which he helps to supply because he will not trouble himself to use his mind on the subject. Wow. I mean, our consciences could not let what was happening go, go on without speaking out against it. Because if we stayed silent, then we're complicit. Mm. And I want to challenge those who have stayed silent. They are complicit. Silence is consent to the powerful. I mean, we don't think it should be. We think, well, they're responsible. But in a democratic society... Well, we're hearing that so much in well, <laughs> from the leftist side of, of, of it. We had David Hurley... I think it was him saying uh, the standard you march past is the standard you accept, essentially saying silence is, is consent. Um, and uh, and then you get the, I think it's the, the Black Lives Matter slogan that silence is actual violence, which of course is a load of rubbish and a, <laughs> a butchering of terms. But uh, what they're trying to say is is when you ignore this, you, you're actually doing active harm. In a democratic society, the people are responsible for the actions of their leaders. And when God judged Israel, did he just judge the kings? Mm. No. No, he judged the whole nation. Exactly. And we, and we or John Calvin, I believe, said it. Uh, and I think uh, also um, Balthazar Hubmeyer said it, who's one of the Anabaptists in our book. When God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked leaders. And so when our leaders are doing terrible things and we're not saying anything about it or doing anything about it, that mm. actually exemplifies the character of the people. And if you're trying to stop people from speaking out against it, then that's actively empowering. Wow. Yeah, that's sobering. Sobering indeed. All right, yeah. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. That's why the book was written, Defending Conscience. Uh, you can get your copy now uh, in paperback, PDF, or any of the, uh, the e-book varieties from defendingconscience.com. Awesome. Well, that's it for the fourth episode of Defending Conscience, the podcast. Remember, the book is available now. Make a great gift for somebody at defendingconscience.com. We'll see you later.